Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, how are you doing today? Hope the world is treating you all right. Thanks for making us a part of your day. We appreciate it. Here's an interesting stat. Edison Research, which is a company that surveys listening habits in various media, recently reported that 80% of people who have heard of podcasts but have never listened to one don't know that they have a podcast app on their phone. So come on, podcast listeners. Let's not keep it a secret. Spread the word about podcasting and good podcasts like this one. This is episode number 120 of The Next Track. Another stat we want to talk about today uh, was announced by the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA. Michael Jackson's Thriller album has been dethroned by the Eagles' greatest hits as the number one selling album of all time, at least up until now. So we thought this would give us an opportunity uh, and a good reason to have a look at the current state of this RIAA list. It's pretty amazing that there has been this on-and-off battle between Thriller and the Eagles' Greatest Hits album for decades, hasn't there? Yeah, it's not really a battle, though. <laughs> but it's not It's not like there are, uh, you know, Team Thriller and, and Team Eagles' Greatest Hits. You know, no one's rooting for any of these things to become the number one album of all time. Are, are, are there? I, I, think the, I think the surviving members of the Eagles oh. <laughs> are rooting for it, because the more they sell, the more they make. Right, that's probably true. And as we know, uh, there was a documentary recently on Netflix about the Eagles, which is actually quite good, but it really paints them as these opportunists who really all they wanted to do was have hit singles and they knew how to do it they were all good musicians and they but their ultimate goal was not just to play music but with, to make an extraordinary amount of money and gain fame from <laughs> from performing music they were quite successful yes they were but what's interesting about the documentary is it goes into the fact this whole what did they call it the california sound the david geffen musicians and all that and and they show not just what the Eagles were doing, but that they were part of a whole new sound, this sort of easy listening rock, because sometimes it could be easy listening, but sometimes Joe Walsh wailing on his guitar was hard rock. Well, think about all the Southern California acts that are related to the Eagles. You've got Linda Ronstadt, Warren Zevon, Jackson Brown. You've got this whole group of people from that area and they can rock and they can go soft and it was at the time in the 70s it was just about right it 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 broached uh you know the the soft hippie rock movement and it got into the pop music scene so it it really was an important batch of music and it wasn't too heavy while it could rock and roll it wasn't like heavy metal or you know led zeppelin queen kiss things like that so it was the sort of palatable heavy rock and roll for people who weren't in cities who didn't want to identify with those sort of creepy bands. And and that's what made them such a popular band all across the country. Whereas I would think that Led Zeppelin was popular in college towns and big cities, but much less so in, you know, rural Mississippi and places like that. Sure. Oh, yeah. Well, there's no doubt that the Eagles were a tremendous crossover. I mean, they they touched pop, they touched rock, they touched country, um, R&B, you know, just so many different sorts of styles they brought into their music. And yet it was, it's still the Eagles. I like to say, how do you know a dog is a dog? All dogs look different. Well, it's like an Eagle song. You know yeah. that it, they could be different, but they were still the Eagles. So Michael Jackson's Thriller was an interesting album. I worked in a video store, a very, very small video store on Lexington Avenue in the 50s in New York. And it was around the Christmas season just after Thriller came out. 
And this was a small video store up on the second floor. I don't even know. You know, this was before there were big video stores anywhere. Um, and we were just putting those out like dealing cards onto a table. So this was immensely popular. And while people were able to watch it on MTV and watch all sorts of other videos on MTV, they wanted to see this on their own with no advertisements around it, et cetera. Of course, being, what, nine minutes long, being a song and dance epic and, you know, incredibly well produced and directed, made it a short film more than a video. And while the song itself was popular, I think it's the video that contributed to the sale of the album. It, it it gave a sort of an aura to that record. It was quite a phenomenon. I remember MTV, what, gave it a world premiere. They built it up a lot. I mean, they, the marketing behind it was incredible. But it's the record taken as a whole is quite good. There's no denying well, it. Well, it's, it's also got Beat It and Billie Jean, which are two other hugely popular Michael Jackson songs. I'm looking at the song list, and I don't really remember too many of the other songs. Want to Be Starting Something, Baby Be Mine, The Girl Is Mine with Paul McCartney. Human Nature, P-Y-T, in parenthesis, Pretty Young Thing, and The Lady yep. in My Life. Virtually all of those songs I played on the radio. Yeah. Um, all of those songs were hits to some degree. So I guess it's kind of obvious that the records that are the best sellers of all time, note that we are talking about records in popular music. And if you look in some Bollywood soundtracks, you will find many that have sold far more copies, but they don't get the same certification, and apparently piracy is so rife that it's really hard to get good numbers. But the records in this list, and we'll put a link to the RIAA's list of gold and platinum records. The records in this list are, for the most part, well, the first five are from the 1970s. The sixth one is from the early 80s. And then a couple more 70s, a couple more recent. But th this is just a question of time, the accretion of sales over the years, that people think, okay, I need some music. What am I going to go for? I'm just going to go for something that's a tried and true bestseller, because these are records also that are probably stocked in record stores. You remember what those are, record stores? Yes, I do. You can still find a couple if you look. Well, not that many. So the number three is the Eagles again with Hotel California. Now, that's kind of interesting because their greatest hits being the most popular one is really good because every song is a hit. But Hotel California is arguably a concept album in many ways. By far my favorite Eagles record. Well, it's kind of like a greatest hits album unto itself. Every song on it, I think, is well known. I was forced to appreciate it because it was the only tape a buddy of mine would play in his car for a whole summer. But every song on it is a winner. So it's got everything from the Rockin' Hotel California, which, you know, it's one of those songs. It's like Stairway to Heaven. It starts out slow and then it gets, you know, a lot more raucous at the end. And it ends with The Last Resort, which is the longest song on the record, 7 minutes 25, and it's this really mellow sort of farewell track. It's got Life in the Fast Lane, which was one of their biggest hits. Pretty Maids All in a Row, great song, Victim of Love, another very rocking song. Definitely a great album. I think I'm going to listen to that when we're finished. It won't be my next track pick, but I'm going to listen to that later. It's very rocking. So, number four, Billy Joel, Greatest Hits Volume 1 and Volume 2. I think it's hard for people today to realize how big Billy Joel was back in the day, in the 70s, in the 80s. Well, he's still doing things. Um, he has a residency at the Madison Square Garden, I guess you call it. I, didn't I read recently where he just celebrated 100 sellouts or something like that? I mean, if you can fill the Madison Square Garden 100 times, that's saying something. So he's still holding on pretty well. The thing about Billy Joel is he's a really good songwriter. His songs are really well written. They've got great hooks. I, you know, all the... 
all the things you'd expect from a great songwriter. Um, great arrangements, too. Uh, the fact that his songs you know, were able to cross over and, and be played on so many different radio formats was a big plus, like it was for the Eagles. He's kind of like that Southern California group, except he was from the East Coast. Yeah, I'm just looking at some of the songs on that two-CD set. Piano Man, obviously Captain Jack, The Entertainer, New York State of Mind, The Stranger, Scenes from Italian Restaurant, My Life, Big Shot. You know, a lot of these albums, now, now that we've gotten a little deeper into the list, these albums fall into a category that is uh, somewhat disdainful. It's called dad rock. And there's a certain kind of music. It's like dad jokes. There's a certain kind of music that is this cardboard sort of, you know, not really amazing music, but there it is. Good wallpaper, very attractive wallpaper. And not to diss the music, but just to, to suggest that, the, that people like this sort of it's stuff. It's safe and music. And they like a lot of it. It's safe. Yeah. But yeah. move down a slot, and who do you get? Led Zeppelin Four, Black Dog, Rock and Roll, Stairway to Heaven, and of course, going to California, which is like the flip side of Stairway to Heaven in terms of the way you think about Led Zeppelin. And that obviously has sold so much, mostly because of Stairway to Heaven. The first song that anyone learns to play on guitar once they've gotten past playing chords, and probably the most classic rock song of the 70s. Yeah, but also, you know, you still hear not only that song, but you also hear Black Dog and Rock and Roll quite a bit. If you're a radio station and you want to prove your historical cred, you play those two songs. What's There's another one on there you still hear, Levy Break. When the Levy Breaks, you'll occasionally hear that one on the radio, too. But, um, you know, in the 70s, if you owned Led Zeppelin four, you were on the edge of... That was not a pop you, album. You were an outlier, yeah. yeah. Uh, but later on, as 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 it just wore down, as the sort of the edginess of Led Zeppelin sort of wore down, it became, you know, one of those records that everybody had because it's just you know you hear it all well, the time. I I would posit that when Nirvana came around, Led Zeppelin became dad rock. Oh, absolutely, perfect, perfect, um, perfect formula for that sort of thing. Yeah. So number six, Pink Floyd, The Wall. Kind of surprising that The Wall would be the most popular Pink Floyd record on this list, and we'll see a couple others as we go down. 1981, 1980, I saw The Wall live, one of the shows at the Nassau Coliseum. Remember, they only did, what, 10 shows in the East Coast and 10 on the West Coast before they redid it in the UK. Is that the, the, the show where they had a fake Pink Floyd in the front? Yes. Like maybe that was one of the first performances. They had a fake Pink Floyd. No, but they had that every time. At one at one point in the show, after the wall is built up, there's the fake band. But the fake band was some of the real musicians who toured with Pink Floyd. Like, I remember Snowy White on guitar, who was an extraordinary guitarist. He was one of them. I don't remember who the other musicians were. The, the wall is interesting because it shows that Roger Waters' Pink Floyd sells more than the other Pink Floyd. But do you know why? Well, I didn't think some of the other members were allowed to perform... The uh, Roger Waters song. No, that's not it. It's because Roger Waters has been touring with The Wall for 20 years. So people buy the album after they see the concert. Yeah, since it's mostly his. And there's other, I think there's a live version of him doing it with his band, but he he has been filling stadiums around the world with it. Yeah, this. when Pink Floyd tours and records, they don't do, I don't think, versions of The Wall. They'll play a few songs. They'll play the David Gilmore songs, um, you know, Run Like Hell and things like that. But... Um, they don't really delve too far into the wall. Probably contractual issues, too. Well, that was when the whole schism started between Roger Waters and the rest of the band. I'd like to find a Pink Floyd expert to talk about that. 
we'll, we'll see, because it, it is an interesting history of a band that just became hugely popular and even got AM radio play in the 70s with Dark Side of the Moon and Wish You Were Here, yet remained relatively marginal. Anyway, ACDC back in black. I never liked ACDC, so we can just write them off. Whoa! I know you're only saying that to tease me, but I did have a mild panic attack. Um, I have to say, I, and I'm not ashamed to say, that I am an ACDC fan. I'm not a headbanger by any stretch of the imagination. I like ACDC in the same way that I like the Ramones. They are um, unabashedly ironic and... Um, and don't take themselves too seriously, and at the same time are able to produce some really, really cool music. I first started listening to ACDC when they first came out because they were bad boys. I mean, we liked Aerosmith, we liked the Rolling Stones, we liked The Who, and we liked ACDC. They wrote funny songs. Some of the songs are really absurd. They are so over the top. Bon Scott was just tremendous as their original lead singer and chief lyric writer. Um, and of course, the stuff just sounds really good. Now, this Back in Black album is just one of the best-produced rock albums of all time. And it's got great crossover appeal. Lots of people like it. Um, what's the big hit they had? Um, you Shook Me All Night Long. That is a great song. That's a great pop song. Um, so I, I, I really do admire ACDC. I really enjoy them. But not because I take them seriously at all. I take them seriously as great uh, music producers, but I don't take them seriously as, you know, as as you might think a headbanger would. Not as, I don't take them as seriously as Kiss takes themselves seriously. Okay, so you laughed at me before the show because I don't know the next record. I don't really know the next performer. I've heard of him, Garth Brooks. Th there are a couple reasons why I don't know him. I left the States in 84. You could probably get some country music over here, but it's classic country music. Uh, the other thing is his music is still not available for streaming. I think he's one of the last remaining refuseniks. So that that probably contributes to why his records sell so well. But on the other hand, the guy is an incredibly popular. Um, he had a lot of hits in the uh, the 80s and the 90s. Uh, actually, mostly the 90s, I think. And he used to do TV specials. One of the few country artists in this country who would occasionally be on television, do live shows on, on network broadcast television. And he was... His live shows were really good. He was one of the guys, he was one of the first artists that I ever saw on television that used the wireless microphone and made it obvious that he was using it. And he would jump into the audience and he would just do a raucous country rock and roll sort of show. Great crossover country music. He got a lot of rock listeners, got a lot of country music listeners, and obviously a lot of crossover listeners. So a very popular guy. And I'm not surprised that to see him... Uh, do so well on this well, list. Well, I think a lot of people ignore just how popular country music is, at least in the U.S. You know, hip-hop and, and sort of contemporary pop is what you hear on the radio if you're in a, a large city, a large market, a college town, whatever. But across a lot of the United States, country music is the dominant form of music. And, I, I mean, I do love that old country music, you know, the 50s and the 60s stuff, and Particularly the, the Dead covered a lot of country songs. But yeah, I guess I'm not surprised that there is one country music artist, at least, who is that popular. Now, coming to number nine, we didn't talk about this before the show. I have heard this name. I have no idea what sort of music this is. I'm thinking it's something for children, Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> no, Hootie and the Blowfish is a, is a real band or was a real band. I always think of them as sort of like a frat rock 
sort of band like a bunch of guys got together in school and said let's you know let's put together a band you know a little stoner band and they were they're a little bit more than that they they broke in through alternative i remember we played them on the alternative station it's kind of scary that i think about that now and um they had three or four hits off that off the cracked rear view record and then when the band broke up um Darius Rucker the lead singer went on to have a solo career and he's actually doing country music now but uh, I think for a lot of people Hootie and the Blowfish are the epitome of dad rock but they did have a, a bunch of hits off of that album Hold My Hand Only yep. Want to Be With You Yep they were all big I'm Going Home which must be that old blues song that um 10 years after covered <laughs> No 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 Well the number 10 record for me is the epitome of dad rock Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. Dad and Mom Rock. I've never understood why this is so popular. It's got some nice songs. I'm looking at the, the track list, and is Dreams the one that was really the, the, the huge hit? I, I don't recognize Go Your Own Way. That was the other big hit. I don't remember this when it came out being such a huge thing, and yet it has sold so much. And this came out in 1977, just around the same time as Hotel California. You know, I'm starting to see a pattern here, and that's that there are these albums that virtually every song on them is a hit. Um, this album has Secondhand News, Dreams, Don't Stop, Go Your Own Way, The Chain, You Make Love and Fun, um, and Gold Dust Woman, which, I mean, the other ones are familiar to me as well, but those are songs you will hear still on the radio. Um, Christine McVie cashed in big with um, "You Make Love and Fun." This is a big. That was a big hit for for them and for her. "Don't Stop." She wrote as well. I, I'm I'm amazed by Christine McVie. I, I I still like to think of her as Christine Perfect because I still think of her uh, when she you know was playing blues with Chicken Shack and she joined Fleetwood Mac. Well, this is interesting because you, you'd mentioned Fleetwood Mac at some point last year. I think is your next track pick. And there are two Fleetwood Macs. There is the early blues Fleetwood Mac, and then there's the Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks Fleetwood Mac, which started with the album called Fleetwood Mac in 1975, which is the record before Rumors. Exactly. You could um, you could actually divide the history of Fleetwood Mac into more than two sections. Um, as you say, the original uh, configuration was Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac, and they did strictly blues music. But then as members left and came and went, they had several different configurations. And for a while, they were kind of uh, kind of in limbo with what kind of style of music they were going to do. And during that time, they picked up Christine Perfect in the early 70s and then later added other people. But Bob Welch was in the band for a while. They had a couple of hits with him. Um, there was just a lot of stuff going on <laughs> with Fleetwood Mac. There's a great YouTube video. It's not a YouTube video. I think it's a BBC documentary. But uh, there's a great video on, on YouTube that you can check out, and it's the history of Fleetwood Mac and how it's amazing how many people have passed through that band and how well they have weathered. Uh, at least John McVie and Mick Fleetwood have weathered uh, a very long career in music. Let's move down the list. I'm going to skip a lot of things here. Number 11 is Shania Twain. She's another country artist, right? Yeah, Shania Twain, yeah. Shania. Oh, I said it wrong. It figures. Hmm. Number 12 is The Beatles. The Beatles. That's the White Album. The Beatles are only number 12. You know, I'll bet a lot of people have that anyway. Um, it's the sort of album that parents would play for their kids, you know, and it's the sort of thing you might actually have it. But I'm not surprised. And plus, you know, Beatlemania is finally starting to wane. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I mean... Well, I think as long as there's one or two Beatles left, it won't die out. I think, you know, when we lost David Bowie, there was a huge resurgence of interest in his music. And I think 
you know, I hate to say it, Paul, Ringo, you're going to go one day, and particularly Paul is going to be the one that's going to be the end of an era when he's gone. But I think it's going to take another generation for Beatlemania to really wane. Everyone knows these songs, either because they've heard the Beatles, because they've heard covers, because they hear them in supermarkets. You, they're all over the place. Well, you know, it, it always reminds me of how I used to think about music and how music is now. You know, when we were growing up, we were thinking of music temporally, like, well, there was the British Invasion, and then there was hippie music, and then there was this, and then there was that. But nowadays, it's like there's just a complete smorgasbord of everything, and it's there already. So people don't think in terms of, you know, time factors of when something came out. It's just always been there. What can I pick out to listen to? And, and this is the sort of stuff that just rises to the top. And it's very interesting to see what's on this list that, that has managed to keep on keeping on. So if we go to number 15, this just keeps surprising me, what number 15 is. Boston. Really? Wow. Yeah. Has to be the first album, right? The this, one called Boston. Yeah, 17 right. million units. Boston, number 15. It's a it's a really consistently good record. Yeah, but okay. So this is a record that was made by formula, almost made by algorithm. Tom Schultz decided that he was going to make a record that was going to sell, and he was going to make as many tracks as possible that would be perfect for FM radio. And he listened to everything, and he crafted it perfectly. He did it all himself. He did not have a band, and he had to come up with a band in a hurry because the album was so popular he had to tour. I mean, it's got that, it's too perfect for the time. Uh, a lot of my friends really hated it because it was it was corporate rock. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, um, but I, I kind of resented corporate rock too, but that can cut both ways because a really good sounding record would be considered... Uh, you know, corporate rock. I mean, The Cars, their first album is tremendous. It has a nice, clean sound, just like very similar to Boston. It has a very clean sound. So uh, a band like Journey, on the other hand, I kind of resented because they had a corporate sound. But there's no denying the songs are well-crafted, well-recorded. They sound great. I mean, they really do. I don't know, I don't know how many times I've listened to Boston songs in my headphones because we played them on the radio perpetually. So that first album really is good and it, and it holds up. It doesn't, it really does seem timeless. It's one of those albums that does seem timeless, much like Back in Black seems timeless. It's not, it's not like the Beatles album, which is of its time. It's like some of these, some of these albums actually, you know, defy being, uh, kept locked into their era. I would be interested in seeing a curve showing when the sales occur. Are the majority of these sales in the 1970s? This came out in August 76. Or are the majority of them when the CD came out, or has it been a long tail, or what? Or or was it a special event, like a movie or something? And I, I often wonder if they've had a head start, like uh, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. That's a few more down, yeah. Yeah, it was huge. That's a much more recent record. But still, I can't believe that it's in the top 20 of, of all time, because... She must have gotten a head start because when it came out in what ninety five, it was huge. There's no question about it. But I mean, how many records has she sold since then? And it would be interesting to see. Uh, you know, did she just get a head start and she amassed a huge pile at first, and then, or it's been a long tail, or if there have been you know peaks and valleys during? According the, to during Wikipedia, the it topped the charts in thirteen countries with sales of over thirty three million units worldwide. That's actually quite impressive when you think about it. I mean, the list we're looking at is the RIAA, so that's American sales, and they show it as 16 million, so you can double these numbers for some of them, but I would be interested to see the international number to, to see how they jockey for position when they get uh, around the world. Quickly, two more 
greatest hits record show up in the top 20 at number 16, Elton John, and number 18, The Beatles, The Beatles 67 to 70. I guess The Beatles 67 to 70 is really the prime Beatles period, you know, those last few years. And I guess Elton John kind of makes sense, because if you like a couple of Elton John songs, you're more likely to buy the greatest hits than anything else. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like the other albums, too. It's like Billy Joel and the Eagles. You know, if you like four or five of the songs on it already, it's a bargain to pick up, you know, maybe 15 or 20 more. When did this, what is this Elton John cover? Yeah, the greatest hits record is 1970 to 2002. So oh. it is literally everything. Yeah. It's it's two CDs. Apparently, there's a bonus disc version. It's got your song and Tiny Dancer and Hockey Cat and Rocket Man and The Bitches Back. Everything you'd ever want to hear from Elton John. Unless you're a diehard Elton John fan. Well, as it gets later, I don't really know these songs too well. I mean, I did hear Elton John a lot in the 70s, saw him once live, put on a great show. Um, saw him at Madison Square Garden. It was really good. I saw him when he was doing that duet with Kiki D. She came on to sing that song, Don't Go Breaking My Heart. So number 20, and we've talked about this in the past, is Saturday Night Fever. And that's kind of interesting, too, because that sold gazillions back in the day. And then there was probably a lull when, you know, disco died. And, and I would expect that that has become popular again in the past 10 years or so. Disco lull sounds like a hit from the 70s. Um, didn't Saturday Night Fever recently, like, celebrate 40 years or something? So that might have helped. Um, Barry Gibb died with past few years. That might have spiked uh, some of, some sales as well. It's a pretty good record. You know, fun to have her parties, that kind of thing. It is. It's full of great songs. So Bob Marley and the Whalers Legend is number 23. We talked about this recently. It's the reggae record that people own if they only own one reggae record. I'm surprised that Bruce Springsteen's first entry is number 24 with Born in the USA. Now, I'm surprised by that. I would have pegged uh, Born to Run to be higher than that. But then again, maybe the album has gotten, I don't know, maybe it's gotten a boost from something I don't know that I'm not aware of, maybe, you know, remastered or something. Um, but it's nice to see that Bruce is up there. I often wonder if people mistake uh, it for a uh, a patriotic album, which which it isn't. It's not flag waving. No. What's interesting is when you go to Springsteen's earlier albums, particularly the first three, and even to some extent the River, it's more singer songwriter stuff. It's not as FM radio middle of the road type music. You know, you listen to some of the really early tracks, or even you know the things on Born to Run that aren't as well known. This is really interesting. It's almost Dylan-esque, the type of music and lyrics that he wrote. Well, you wouldn't be the first person to compare Springsteen to Dylan. So let's just quickly go through the rest of them, because we've been doing this for a long time. Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon at number 26. I would have expected it to be higher. It it once was higher than that. Oh, it certainly was in the 70s. <laughs> it was the number one to beat for a while. The, the Beatles, 62 to 66, comes in at number 28. Santana, Supernatural at 27. Adele. So this is the most recent record in the top 50 or top 100. It's Adele's 21. Now, isn't this the fact that it wasn't sold to streaming services initially, so she got a few million sales right off the bat? Well, whatever they did, it was the right thing to do because uh, that's a lot of records to sell this, you know, so soon after having been released. Um, it's But she's great. Adele is is really good. I'm not even a hardcore Adele fan at all, but and I have her records. I just think they're they're good to put on every so often. So I initially thought that the number thirty three entry was just a mistake, but then I realized why. Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell. Huh. It's not so much the record; it's the fact that they've made a musical out of it. Yeah, they did that. So yeah. people see the musical yeah. and they oh, I'm going to buy the record, and it's 
Yeah. I remember listening to that record. It was it was huge. It was who was the baseball announcer on that song? Phil Rizzuto. Of the money store. Phil Rizzuto, yeah, doing the play by play as as the, the narrator's trying to score with the girl in his car. He used to tell the story of how he did not know at, at anything about what that was <laughs> and was surprised to hear that it was gonna on a hit record. I did have that record and I did listen to it a lot. It was a record of its time. Trivia at a Robert Palmer concert at the Capitol Theater in Passaic. I sat right behind Meatloaf. Meatloaf again? He was one big, tall dude. I saw him live, I think it was 89 or 90, at the Hampton Beach Casino in New Hampshire. I don't know why we went. It must have been free tickets or something. And he put on a great show. He did Bat Out of Hell, and he did everything, and it was great and wonderful. But he kept teasing the audience, saying that, hey, we're recording Bat Out of Hell 2, and it should be out in a few months. Meanwhile... Four years later, Bad Out of Hell was finally released. <laughs> but I thought it was hilarious that he was promoting an album that he probably knew wasn't going to be out for years. I, I guess it took a long time to get the sequel right. Because, you know, how are you going to beat the first one? Yeah, th th that's, a, that's almost a one-hit wonder. But one hit being an album. Th there are a number of them. I think Boston would qualify as that, too. But Meatloaf was almost like a novelty act. It's amazing that it did have the popularity it did. But it just, it just hit at the right time. Two more greatest hits albums at 34 and 35, Simon and Garfunkel and Steve Miller Band. Hmm, yep. Remember how popular Steve Miller Band was back yes, then? Yes, huge, huge, very big. That was a big deal. Springsteen and the E Street Band Live at number 37. Wouldn't expect that to be the second Springsteen record, but... Is that the five-disc live album? 1975, 1985, I think yeah, it is, that's, yeah. Hmm, that's surprising. That's a big collection. That's, what, five, I think it's three, four, five CDs, I think? I remember it was a lot at the time. I remember thinking how much it was at the time, and we were playing it on the radio, and we, we were having difficulty figuring out, well, what should we play? That was actually in a box, wasn't it, as opposed to a gatefold? I think so. It was special. There was no question. It was very special. It was five vinyl records or three CDs. Yeah. But yeah, even okay. in vinyl, it was in a box. If you remember, it was pretty rare to have a box for non-classical music. I remember Chicago Live at Carnegie Hall was like that. It was four LPs in an actual box. Concert for Bangladesh came in a box. Yes, not a lot of albums did, though, now that, you, now that you mention it. It was hard to package them. So, Prince and the Revolution, Purple Rain at number 39, Pearl Jam 10 at number 38. Both records that just don't really grab me. Never a fan of either of them. In fact, I only listened to Pearl Jam for the first time, what, last year when our guest Chris Conacher was talking about how much he loves Pearl Jam. Yeah, you took the Pearl Jam challenge. Whitney Houston's eponymous album at number 40 i guess that's understandable well it's got uh, i will always love you on it which uh, was a huge hit that was written by dolly parton by the way but um, yeah whitney houston beloved number 46 kenny g with breathless not beloved i actually own that cd i have it <laughs> oh yeah. no yeah yeah because you never yeah. you never know when you're gonna want to schmaltz out the party or whatever i don't know why i have it but i do have it um he's a popular guy i guess you know Safe, safe jazz. I don't know this stuff. I just know that the guy looks like the music he plays. Yeah, kind of does. <laughs> or the music he plays has taken on his look. Yes. <laughs> Phil Collins at number 50 with No Jacket Required. I'm looking at this record. I don't know one single song on this, at least by name. Oh, yeah, that's got... Um, I, I would expect the one with In the Air Tonight to be the most popular one, but that's not it. No, this this one has Susudio on it. It has uh, Lose My Num Don't Lose My Number... Um, Sue Studio, One More Night, Don't Lose My Number, right. Who Said I Would, Take Me Home. Those are the ones in Wikipedia that have links to the to the songs themselves. So that means they're popular. Because someone wrote an entry for them? Yeah. But not you. 
no, not not aware of that stuff. So that's the top 50. Now, if, if we go just a little bit further down, there are some really interesting records that come in, you know, in the bottom 50, as it were. Madonna just breaks in with Like a Virgin at number 100. Led Zeppelin's first record comes in at 98. Green Day, Dookie, at 96. George Michael is down there. And then Garth Brooks has four records in a row. Well, the ultimate hits, the hits, are two of them. Eric Clapton's Unplugged. I remember how popular that was. I bought that when it came out. Yeah, that's what makes me wonder if something like this got a head start, because it had those huge, huge hits. It had the cover of Layla, with the cover of the rearranged. Yeah. And then Tears in Heaven is on yeah. it. So what gives with that? Elvis's Christmas album. I'd expect more Elvis. I'd expect some Frank Sinatra to be in here. Creedence Clearwater Revival's 20 Greatest Hits. Ah, uh, the dad rock bedrock. Yeah, but people, see, people are still buying, why aren't they buying a Sinatra? Well, there's too many Sinatra albums is probably why. Yeah, but it's generational too. I mean, you know, our parents played us Frank Sinatra records. Kids today, their parents played them Green Day or Elton John or Billy Joel. So that's why that stuff is still popular. There's not a lot of hip hop in this list. Which is surprising because hip-hop has been around for a while. Now, when I've been giving numbers before, it was not the RIAA page because it doesn't have numbers. It was a different website. So now I'm looking, and I guess we're in the 70s or the 80s. There's two records by Tupac. I'm not seeing this Outcast, which isn't technically hip-hop. Oh, Notorious B.I.G. No, no, no. Is it Outcast is pop. No, they're the real deal. My son used to listen to that. Yeah, but they're like Southern hip-hop. Here we are arguing about hip-hop. Two old dudes arguing about hip-hop. But, um, no, I, I think they're the real deal. I, they've had a couple of hits, but, uh, you know, they're, they're a type of hip-hop. No question. Okay. Yeah. Celine Dion shows up a couple times. The Eagles' Greatest Hits, Volume 2, is down in the 60s. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' Greatest Hits. Now, here's a band that why are they only here one? This is number 54, The Rolling Stones with Hot Rocks. That's a Greatest Hits album. I bought that when it came out. Yeah, but why haven't the Stones, why aren't more Stones albums in there? Where's the Bowie? There's no Bowie. Where's the other Pink Floyd? When you think of the bands that are, the artists that are incredibly popular, it's surprising how many are not here. Again, w with Frank Sinatra, Elvis, there are so many records that it's maybe hard to choose. And, and maybe for marketing reasons, they didn't decide to make one monolithic greatest hits record and push that, which would be the big seller. But there are so many bands here that are just that just don't exist. I mean, I would expect more Stones. I would expect. Come on, let's uh, come up with some other bands here. Uh, well, more Beatles, more Madonna, more Prince. Like, although I guess Purple Rain kind of covers it. Yeah, uh, Michael Jackson's Off the Wall. I think should have been on the list. Uh, maybe Metallica, Journey. Uh, U2, The Police, maybe. Um, I would expect more hip-hop in particular. I, I would think early hip-hop, not more recent, because it hasn't been around long enough and because we've moved to streaming now. Yeah, but I, I can't think of a, of a hip-hop album that has crossed over and is, has become so globally popular. You know, there's no Eagles Greatest Hits of, of hip-hop. Um, you know, Beyonce, maybe, uh, Eminem. There's a couple of Eminems down in the 60s and the 70s. I was wondering if a jazz album could show up there, but Miles Davis' Kind of Blue, which is the most popular jazz album ever, has only sold 4 million copies. And the bottom of this list at number 100 is still around 10 million. So he's miles away. Get it? See what I did there? He's miles away from hitting the list. Yeah, you said miles, meaning a distance. Right. But that's actually the man's first name. Isn't it amazing? But anyway, um, yeah, that's surprising that um, 
that more jazz albums aren't up there. But then again, I think it's generational. Um, there's so much jazz to choose from. What's the best one? And if there is a best one, is it really jazz? Because, well... It's Kenny G. Yeah, exactly. There is jazz represented in the top 100. <laughs> At the end of the show, we'd like to talk a little about an album that each of us will be listening to. Kirk, what's your next track pick this week? So this morning I was listening to John Cage. It's a recording of a piece called Ryoanji, which is influenced by the Japanese garden at the Ryoanji Temple. And there are many, many versions of this for a variety of instruments. The one I was listening to was for saxophone, and it's together with percussion. It's on Mode Records. I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well. And then I started thinking, why has no one recorded Ryoenji for Shakuhachi? It would seem to make sense. Uh, apparently, Cage was influenced by the instrument, and maybe he couldn't find anyone who could play it at the time, so he just composed it sort of for any instrument. And I searched, and I did find a recording of it. And the recording is by Brian Taidaku Ritchie, who, and here's what gets interesting. In a Facebook group about the Shakuhachi, I see this person posting all the time, and... I found out when I was reading about this record that he was the founder of the band The Violent Femmes in 1982, a band that I saw alive once back then. He's had quite an extraordinary career from that alt-rock foundational band. Their, their first album actually went platinum to playing the Shakuhachi. Uh, I believe the band is getting back together and touring again soon. He told me on Facebook that Ryoanji is one of his favorite pieces of music in the world and his favorite piece by John Cage, and his version of it is really quite good. So I'll link to this on Apple Music and I'll link on CD Baby where you can buy the record and download it. I don't know if you can actually get a CD. If you don't know Cage's music, this is probably less extreme than a lot of his works. And if you want to hear what an indie rocker from the 1980s is doing now, I think this is a good way to find out. Doug, I hope you have something interesting today. I think so. You know, back in the 70s after the band, the group The Band, broke up, a lot of people had high expectations for the work that the guys in the band would do afterwards. And I remember very early on that they had set a very high bar for themselves, which they failed to meet. Uh, a lot of the stuff that came out by members of the band after the band broke up was not very well received. One such record is the album by Levon Helm and the RCO All-Stars. This is Levon Helm's first album after the band breakup. And it's essentially a supergroup composed of Dr. John, Booker T, Steve Cropper, Duck Dunn, Paul Butterfield, Howard Johnson, and his band. But the album just is kind of flat. However, unbeknownst to me at the time, they performed at a New Year's Eve show at the Palladium in New York in 1977, last day of the year, and recorded the show. And that was released in 2006. And that is one great record. It's called Levon Helm and the RCO All-Stars, live at the Palladium, New Year's Eve, 1977. Obviously, what they do is a, a bunch of, of, of great Chicago style blues. Um, of course, with Paul Butterfield there, he does his signature tune, Born in Chicago. Dr. John has a couple of cuts. Levon Helm is in great voice. This, all the songs are just fabulous. Great big horn sound from Howard Johnson and his band, who happened to be the Saturday Night Live band at the time. This is really quite surprising because, as I said, the studio album is kind of flat considering all the high-caliber talent. But this live show is really good. It really cooks. Quite fun to listen to. I highly recommend it. Levon Helm and the RCO All-Stars, live at the Palladium, is my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. 
You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.